You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network as we continue our Oscars coverage for 2020. We've done two movies, we're going into a third movie. We're excited to give our spoiler-free review of the movie that we're about to talk to talk to today. It's purely, we're just, it's us, we're talking to a movie. We've managed to somehow do that. Uh, just before we get into it, remember to subscribe to us on all our relevant podcast channels out there to stay up to date with all these episodes. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, subscribe on Instagram. That's not what you do on Instagram, but you follow us on Instagram. That's what I'm trying to say. And then you can listen to me ramble about this in other episodes as well. But we are here today to talk about, for the very first time, He's Lord and Master Quentin Tarantino, and the movie that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Can I just point out quickly that we have done a Quentin Tarantino movie before. We did the epic parody Kill Phil and Kill Phil Volume 2. Oh, so that's right. We, we have done Quentin Tarantino. The shame of Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah. uh, but yes, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, about 80 other actors that are in for one scene and apparently get star billing. And... I'm excited to talk about this movie because I feel this is long overdue for us finally talking about this film. My name is Ben fucking Waterworth. And my name is Colin, the girl from Valley and the Dolls. Ah. No, the other one. Right. No, oh. no, no, the other one. Oh, okay, right. I knew I recognized you. <laughs> um, but I'm, I, I, again, I, I'm excited. I said yesterday that there were four movies of these nine that I absolutely loved. This is one of them. Um, and it took me a while to love this movie. And that's weird to say. I've only seen it once. But um, <laughs> like, there were just large portions of this film where I'm going, okay, yep, they're driving. Um, cool. <laughs> they're, they're talking. Uh, he's going to Italy. Great. Oh, um, wait, wait. A little girl is having a conversation with DiCaprio. Okay. Um, yeah. Luke by the Perry. Time this is over, she'll almost be old enough to date him. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You just stole that from Ricky Gervais, you thief. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was wondering if you knew that joke either. <laughs> Margot Robbie's there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden shit happens. You're like, wow. And then you're like, okay, that was good. <laughs> Which is very Tarantino. And the thing is, I'm a, I'm a mad Tarantino fan. I think most people are, I think. But like, it's actually, when I look at his filmography, I haven't seen as many films as I feel I should have of Quentin Tarantino. So... I, I think we're going to do a Quentin Tarantino month at some point. We have to because, you know, it's Quentin Tarantino. But, um, yeah, this is a good film. I enjoyed this movie and I am looking forward to talking about it. I've just repeated myself a lot there, but, hey, this is what I do. Just out of curiosity, which ones have you seen? Okay, so I've seen Pulp Fiction. I've seen Kill Bill Volume 1, Volume 2. I've seen Glorious bastards i think i've seen reservoir dogs but a long time ago but that's and i've seen like bits of jackie brown but i have not seen django unchained or the hateful eight or grindhouse so yeah um i've seen all of his movies and uh this is different from scorsese uh whereas i said with scorsese i thought i was a bigger fan of his uh and then i sort of look back on his filmography i'm like oh i had a lot of issues with this one um there's definitely I, I feel like in the last couple Tarantino movies, I've had issues with every single one of them, but his movies are never boring. I think that's the difference uh, post kill bill. Really, the only one that I thought was a really strong movie was Django Unchained. But at the same time, I feel like Django Unchained, it had what would have been a perfect ending. And then the movie kept going for another half hour and kind of wrecked it for me. Uh, but, you know, his earlier movies 
there, there, there's just a lot more energy to them. And I feel like that's what's been lacking. I feel like he's been so bogged down with long dialogue scenes. And the funny thing is, is that um, some of those things you're talking about here, you do feel like, okay, this is still going. All right, this is a very long scene. But it just it feels different from his last couple of movies. It feels like this movie gets going and it, it catches your interest right away. Maybe it's because a lot of the longer scenes play later in the movie or midway through the movie. Because when this starts, it's just immediately jumping into this kind of quirky scene, you know, back in the 50s or whatever with DiCaprio being interviewed on like, you know, a, a TV set. And then you get introduced to these characters. It's, just, it's very quick fire. And then it sort of slowly starts to slow down and then it picks up a little bit and then slows down a little bit. But I just found this to be a lot more easy to watch yeah. than at least the last couple Tarantino movies that I've seen. Yeah, and I think you said it yesterday, didn't you? This may be the least Tarantino movie he's ever done. And based on what I've yeah. seen, I, I would definitely agree with that. Because you, you go into a Tarantino movie expecting, you know, over-the-top violence and kind of just random bits and pieces here, the timeline being a bit around the place and just... A lot of shock scenes, yeah. which this doesn't really have. This, Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, like, on reflection, it actually works really well. And I think, you, yeah, it sums it up well. It's maybe the easiest one to watch. Um, I mean, look, I'm not... With the Kill Bill movies, I, I'm not a fan of the second one. I kind of... I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember being so disappointed when I saw the second one compared to the first one. Um, and I felt that was a little bit different as well. But, I mean, I guess that one and two are technically one movie. So it kind of, you know, it's all together. But anyway, like, this just... I, I, again, you have expectations of what to to see in this, and the fact that you've got arguably two of the biggest actors of all time, you know, leading this movie as well, and just you, I expected so much from either side of them, and just their performances were just, I don't know, like I know you're not a big Leo fan, um, I don't know how you feel about Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt to me is kind of like what I talked about Scarlett Johansson yesterday, like she, he's there. I've never... He's always decent. He's always... Yeah, exactly. He's fine. I've never disliked him. I've never loved him. He's just kind of there. But I think he kind of gives a really solid performance in this movie that was probably going to win him his first acting Oscar. Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, he's good. I like I, I like Leonardo DiCaprio. I know you don't like him, but I've, I've always liked Leonardo DiCaprio. But it's a standard performance. It's, it's nothing incredible. He's not going to win the Oscar, but he's being nominated for what, the 800th time. So, um... <laughs> And and Margot Robbie, like I, I love Margot Robbie. Like I actually, every time I see her in something, I realize how much I really like her. Um, but again, it's kind of odd her in this movie because she doesn't really do much in this movie, does she? She just looks at things. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I think that also you have to have some type of familiarity. I'm not going to say you have to, but I, I feel like you're going to get a little bit more out of her stuff in this movie if you have some familiarity with. Um, you could say that whole situation, the, the the Manson murders, but even just Roman Polanski and Sharon Tate, you know, and their history or their films that they made around this time. So there's a little bit more enjoyment you can get out of that. But I remember this is going, I think, all the way back to, you know, um, a year before this movie came out when they did a press conference or I think when the first trailer came out or something. And there was some press conference where uh, somebody called out Tarantino, I think it was, for – pushing this movie as Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt is like, how come you're not giving the female lead equal billing? And he's like, because she's barely in the movie. And that's really the, the, the thing here. She's not the main character of this movie. She is playing a real person, a part of this movie that ties into real events. And she's also playing the type of person who is not that dynamic of a person. It's almost, if, if you've ever seen Sharon Tate in anything, she has sort of this bizarrely, 
uh, charismatic um, bad acting about her. You know, <laughs> she, she comes across like somebody who's who's really just kind of a, a dull person, but still has a certain charm about her. No, uh, and she, yeah, she, she, like Noah Gross. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, she plays that well for what she's playing. But, I mean, if somebody's not familiar with Sharon Tate, they probably would see this even more and be like, well, what's the point of her being in this movie? Um, but as far as Leonardo DiCaprio goes, you know, I, I definitely think the last couple of years or the last couple of movies he's done, I feel like he's better cast. What really happened, I think that his career started really strong. But after the success he had in Titanic, I mean, we've talked about this in other movies. He really kind of bullied his way into a lot of movies and pushed a lot of other actors out. I mean, he pushed Christian Bale out of American Psycho for a year. He literally pushed Ewan McGregor out of the beach uh, and ended his friendship with Danny Boyle in the process because it, for him, it didn't matter whether another actor was signed onto a movie. He was going to force his way in there because he was Leonardo DiCaprio. And I feel like those movies that he did that in really he wasn't a good fit for and also a lot of those other movies like gangs in new york i don't feel like he was a good fit for gangs in new york uh even the blood diamond i don't feel like he's that good of a fit in the blood diamond but you know some of the ones that he's done recently particularly the revenant which the revenant unbelievable like 100 percent deserved to win best actor for that movie barely speaks in it you know, I, I i can come around and i can appreciate him now again as an actor as a person I think I could kind of appreciate him a little bit more now because he's he stopped doing a lot of the bullying that he did early in his career. Uh, Brad Pitt, one hundred percent agree with you. Never really thought one way or the other. I think the thing I enjoy him the most in is the Oceans movies, but he's he's not really going to win an award for you know the Oceans movies. He's he's just a fun character, and in here this is where I'm going to kind of disagree with. You know, so much of the praise he's getting. And as you said, he's he's almost considered the lock for supporting actor. I don't 100% get in this movie. I think that he is really strong in this. But there wasn't any part of this movie where I, I feel like if it wasn't for the fact that this was Brad Pitt and he is exceeding your expectations as Brad Pitt, then I don't know if I'd be this amazed. If this were, you know, somebody else in this role, if this were, uh, I don't know, Rene Russo. <laughs> Coming soon to Delta um, Network in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I don't know if I'd be impressed just with this performance as a whole. Uh, and I do feel like Brad Pitt's given you know a better performance. If you ever saw, the, I think the first time he got nominated for an Oscar for Twelve Monkeys or even for Fight Club, I think he has better things in him than what we're seeing in this movie. But I'm not knocking him in this movie. You know, he holds your attention on the screen as playing what's supposed to be the boring guy in this friendship. And then DiCaprio, I mean. The most amazing thing with this movie is that I thought one thing watching the trailers and then you realize this movie's completely different. It's it's literally just like a day in the life of these two guys mm. who are kind of at the end of their career and, and out of their prime. And I was so captivated watching DiCaprio essentially do nothing for the majority of this movie. Yeah. You know, just like we said, you know, Margot Robbie sort of does nothing. Leonardo DiCaprio is literally sitting around waiting to film scenes and having discussions with little girls and then yelling at himself in the trailer for not getting lines straight. And it was mesmerizing to watch. I completely agree. And this goes into our thing that we keep saying about this year, that so many of these films are just built around really strong acting. Um, and we all know that Hollywood loves a, an ode to itself when it comes to movies. You know, movies about classic Hollywood or Hollywood in general often always get nominated. And I kind of went into this thinking this was going to be like just such a big, huge ode to it, more so than it is. Yeah. Because, I mean, it is, don't get me wrong, but it's not on the scale that I was thinking it was going to be. Um, were were and- you kind of like me? You were, you were assuming this movie would be like maybe the opening half hour, which is a lot of, 
you know, politics and trying to get cast and the, the stuff with Al Pacino and all that. Like, that's what I thought the movie was really going to be. Yeah, and kind of, you know, dealing with how Hollywood was in, the, in what, 1969, mm. 1970. Yeah, exactly right. Um, but it, it, it's not really that movie. Like, you're right. It's kind of just a life in the day of these two guys. And, and it's not like... A life in the day. <laughs> a life in the day, a day in the life, that too as well. Um, but it's, it, but it's, even then, it's, you know, we're not following, like, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, Rick Dalton, like, he's not the biggest star in Hollywood. You know, he's kind of, he's just sort of middle ground. You know, he's the, I don't know, um, who's a male Rene Russo who's just there. Um <laughs> No doubt we'll do a month of them in 2021. So quick, come up with somebody good. <laughs> Liam Hemsworth. Liam Hemsworth. No, no. Liam Hemsworth <laughs> down the bottom end. Um, come on. <laughs> um, gosh, why am I going blank here on someone? Um, uh, Ryan Reynolds. Although he's maybe a bit like more famous. Um, bad idea. <laughs> guy Pierce. He is the Guy Pierce of 1969. You know, not huge, not terribly unknown but just solid solidly good yes all right um yeah. but <laughs> that's what i'm saying uh, i love guy pierce <laughs> proud australian uh of guy pierce but i mean even like brad pitt's character too like it's not like he's the biggest stuntman in all of hollywood he's just kind of there and he's just fixing tv aerials and Talking to his yeah, dog. He spends most of his time <laughs> as a personal assistant. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, do you feel as though that with his favoritism... Because, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's kind of... It, it's fine. But, I mean, it's just such a stacked category with big names. I mean, Tom Hanks, Anthony Hopkins, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci. Such a... St- I mean, even Leonardo DiCaprio was up against, you know, Joaquin Phoenix, Jonathan Price, Adam Driver, Antonio... Man, big yeah. names. It's very stacked this year. But do you feel this is maybe being looked at as kind of the same way that many people argue Sandra Bullock's win was. It was just, they're there, they're fine, but this is more of one of those, oh, it's an honorary award for their, you know, career. Yeah. And I mean, like Brad Pitt, this is just kind of what I'm wrestling with. Brad Pitt has given better performances, in my opinion. I might make the argument that his performance, even in seven, like very early in his career, might be stronger than this. But then I, I'm torn in a way because I think about the scenes where he's in his beaten up trailer dumping cans of dog food in and making small talk with his dog. And I'm like, he's making the most boring scene in the world really enjoyable. So I, I feel like his charisma really helps me. And I, I guess the other thing to kind of talk about with him is the fact that, yeah, he's in a supporting actor category, I think because he has less dialogue, but I might make the argument that Brad Pitt has more screen time than Leonardo DiCaprio. It's just he's a quieter character in this movie, and he spends a lot of the movie observing other people. You know, when he's at the, uh, you know, um, the the ranch or whatever, the Manson Ranch, and uh, even the scene where he's just fixing the air, or the Bruce Lee scene that we see coming in, he's just sort of observing other people. He's probably in this movie more than DiCaprio. It's just he he doesn't talk nearly as much. Yeah, I agree. And I think kind of going back to your point too, where you're saying about um, you know, whether you're familiar, it helps a little bit more if you're familiar with the the Manson family and the Sharon Tate situation. And I I remember last year when this movie came out and I was planning on seeing it, I remember reading all the commentary about this movie saying about how it does serve better if you know this story and I was briefly familiar with it, like as in I, you know, read the dot points versions of it over the years and kind of read a little bit more, but it definitely does help <laughs> because, yeah, as you said before, I think it's, if you don't know anything about it, 
and you're like, why are we just watching this blonde woman watch a movie? Um, like, yeah. Getting like those off scenes would door. really like the, not just those scenes, but even the ranch scenes. Those things would be like really out of context and feel very tedious if you didn't if you didn't have that recognition of the name Sharon Tate, or you didn't realize who these other people like texts are, or what this this commune is, and you realize oh they're going to eventually get somewhere with this. And the the best thing too, um, which I'm sure we talk about going into this film having. Thinking, thinking about a certain way because it's a Tarantino movie. The one thing that does definitely uh, pay off in a Tarantino movie is this revisionist history of what actually happened. Yeah. And that's kind of the closing stuff of the movie. And that's the best part of the movie. I mean, yeah, it reminded me a lot of Inglorious Bastards when kind of they storm and blow up the theatre and Hitler's getting his head completely just like blown off and all that kind of great stuff. Um you know, it's very similar in kind of what happens. And it's, it's great. Like, that stuff is just so good because it also does subvert your expectations because you're kind of thinking, like, okay, well, Tarantino's not just doing a, a biopic here. Like, he's not just going to show what actually happens. It's going to be warped. But then there's even moments in the bit where I, find, I found that, like, I'm expecting something to happen based on Tarantino, but then that doesn't happen. Like, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio, the bit when he confronts him in the car, like I've got this whole idea of what's going to happen and then it doesn't. And then it's kind of just so many little things like that, that just, um, yeah, like it, it, that's what I'm talking about before about how like, it's a bit of a slow build I feel in some points, but the payoff is massive and you're just like, wow, like it's just, it's, it's a really great way to kind of complete this very well-rounded story. You know, I kind of knew when this movie was just sort of announced. Uh, well, I think if you were following at the time, they originally kind of pitched this. Tarantino is going to be telling a story about Hollywood in the 60s, and it's going to be told against, like, basically tied into the Manson family murders. Whereas this movie was sort of originally announced as a movie about the Manson family. Uh, and that is a small part of the movie. I mean, it, it, it's it's a small part, but it's a big part. You know, when, you'll have to see the movie to really have that make sense. Um, but the way as far as my familiarity with it you know it, it was even higher just because my mom is uh i was about to say she was a huge fan of charles manson <laughs> my <Wow>. mom <laughs> uh, my my mom was obsessed with true crime uh to the point where uh i think she read the book for jurassic park uh like in 1993 Cla- you know, when the true movie came crime novel no 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 <laughs> i'm going somewhere with this um but then I think in the next 15 or 20 years after that, she only read one other fiction novel. Everything else she read in like 20 years was true crime. And I'm talking she would get through four or five books per week of true crime books. And so any type of true crime story, you know, my mom was always talking to us about these things and, you know, showing here, kids, sit down. Let me show you a little bit of the Manson family. <laughs> um, but particularly with the Manson family, because, I mean, that was obviously probably one of the biggest true crime stories of all time and one of the most sadistic, too. Uh, and there's lots of different movies and documentaries that she watched over the years. So I, I kind of knew I've never gotten on a way to know about this, but I knew all of it so that when they get to the ranch and they're mentioning characters like, you know, text and stuff like that i'm like whoa i think i know this this is supposed to be this person this is supposed to be this person uh so when you start to get that build towards the end where this sort of starts to tie together like i was really i i think i kind of saw where they were going to go with it but it really got my attention but i i I am kind of curious if people were to go into this know absolutely nothing could they get through a lot of those other scenes yeah it's because it it is very random it is extremely random and even even if you kind of eventually click why 
there are scenes of Margot Robbie, Sharon Tate doing things and kind of these random people that Brad Pitt's meeting going back to the commune and things like that. And then finally it clicks at the end. But even then, it's I think without any context, it is a bit odd if you actually kind of look at it that way. Um, because, I mean, Margot Robbie is just so random in this movie. Like, I mean, like, that's the thing. It's just, she's just not there. But there is also something about Margot Robbie. It's kind of, you, you talk about Brad Pitt and his, his charisma kind of holds up his scenes. Like, the the scene where she's in the cinema watching a movie, like there's just something Dressing about Margot like her character. <laughs> yeah, like there's something about Margot Robbie that holds that. And like this is a this is a woman who used to be on Neighbours in Australia, and I remember seeing her on Neighbours, and that's just a soap opera. And she was just it's no different to Chris Hemsworth. Like Chris Hemsworth, not as charismatic as Margot Robbie, and not going to win Oscars like Margot Robbie will win an Oscar one day, but. I hated him in Home and Away. Like, he was just a, such a terrible actor and terrible character in Home and Away, and he's just completely transformed himself when he's now a big Hollywood star. So all the props to, to Australians going off and doing this, but there's just something about Margot Robbie's just being bland in this movie, but actually being quite captivating for just playing nothing, really, in this whole film. Yeah, and, and really, uh, we, we can't really talk about the ending, but as you said, I think most people are aware at this point it kind of... And if you've seen other Tarantino movies again, yeah, it kind of does this revisionist history. Here, here's this famous story, this famous incident. Here's the real characters, and then we're going to put a different spin on the end. We're not, you know, we're not going to give away what the spin is, but it it is a different spin on the real life events. And you realize what you're getting going there. But if a person didn't know Sharon Tate was a real person, I this is where I I'm I'm very torn on the ending of this movie because I enjoyed it, kind of knowing you know, what they were trying to say and what they were trying to do here. But it's not like her character was given any prominence in this movie where it, it, it where if you were, if you were to have no idea that Sharon Tate was a real person, you wouldn't finish this movie and be like, so what was the deal with that blonde girl? Like, why, why was she part of this movie? It mm. only ties in, I think, if you do know the real story. And I think that is maybe a bit of a problem because this is an event that happened 50 years ago. And not everybody grew up with a sadistic mother that would show her children, you know, <laughs> documentaries on the Manson family. Uh, she'd always say they were bad. It's not like she was promoting it, but uh, it's just I, I don't know. I, I'm. It's the same thing with the Bruce Lee scene to me, and I think that's the other thing to talk about. There's been a lot of controversy about the Bruce Lee scene, which um, if we're if we're going to spoil anything in this movie, we might as well say because the, the family of Bruce Lee has spoiled this already. But basically, there's a scene where Brad Pitt beats up. Bruce Lee like an actor is playing Bruce Lee Bruce Lee is Bruce Lee in this movie not Bruce Lee the real person but it gets very confusing with his revisionist history uh, <laughs> uh, so Bruce Lee is in this story and Brad Pitt's stuntman actually gets the better of him in a fight he, I wouldn't say he beats him up but they, they get in an altercation he gets the better of him and I don't really know what the point is of that scene too. And maybe this is because I'm a fan of Bruce Lee. And I kind of looked at this and said like, like were they, uh, maybe they were trying to just set up that like Brad Pitt really is a dangerous person, you know, that, that he's very strong, that he's not somebody to be messed with because his character kind of comes across the opposite way. But did you really need to put him against the most dangerous man in movie history and arguably one of those dangerous men ever and actually kind of downplay that person's existence we're talking about a real person bruce lee and making him essentially a joke in this movie i kind of thought not only did i kind of find it maybe a little bit disrespectful to the dead uh but also i just felt like it was almost like a little bit of a cheap gag in the middle of the movie just to you know have a bruce lee cameo and in the end it comes across like they're taking a shot at bruce lee 
it didn't really bother me to be honest because I, I, I mean, I know who Bruce Lee is. I don't know if I've ever seen a Bruce Lee film, um, and I don't really have an opinion on Bruce Lee. So to me, it was just okay, cool. There's Bruce Lee, cool, and then that was that scene. Um, but I mean, sort of reading some of the stuff around this was uh, I like sort of some of the comments about how allegedly Bruce Lee um, was a dick to stuntmen. So basically, they're like, basically, this is what their revenge is that a stuntman's going to be a dick to Bruce Lee. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, it, it is a bit random. But, um, again, like we sort of mentioned, the Quentin Tarantino movies often have a lot of random about them, don't they? Mm. Yeah. They're kind and, of like Family uh, Guy, where it's just like, hey, let's have a random flashback for shits and gigs. <laughs> And again, I'm not saying it was it was a very entertaining scene, especially the guy playing Bruce Lee. Once he takes off the sunglasses, it's it's like that guy looks nothing like Bruce Lee. When he has the sunglasses on, he's got like, like every word he says, like I believe in a way that they had done some type of like better version of the Carrie Fisher Rise of Skywalker thing where they mm. took Bruce Lee and somehow injected him into this movie. It was that accurate. And it's kind of a fun scene. And it's kind of, uh, kind of a fun fight scene. But ultimately, even in the context of this movie, it's not even something that happens as part of the story. It's just sort of like this weird flashback that happens for no reason whatsoever. There are some scenes in this that that really don't play as well for, as the story from beginning to end. But in kind of the opposite of the way I feel like the more recent Tarantino movies are, like Hateful Eight, you know, that movie is just a whole lot of nothing happening for three hours. Uh, and I think that's what actually, you know, takes away from the movie. Here it's the scenes where nothing's really happening that I actually found more entertaining than the ones where something big ended up happening in it. You know what I find quite interesting too? We talked a lot about um, in The Irishman the other day about sort of having random well-known actors in nothing more than glorified cameos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of that. You here. want to run through the cast this? Let's, let's go through some of these. I mean, Al Pacino's back. Um, well, hold on. I just want to, I just want to say... Let's run through these and then say whether you, or not you actually recognized who the person was or how long it took. Okay. You. Actually, before I do, can I just laugh at the fact that um, our very dear friend James Marsden, the the man that uh, everybody yeah. should end up with and always gets <laughs> cut because whatever, actually got cut from the movie. So even Leonardo, yeah. <laughs> uh, even Quentin Tarantino is a dick to James Marsden. So he better hook up with Sonic. Um, just <laughs> and he was playing Burt Reynolds. I like, know. <laughs> But, okay, so uh, let's go through some of these then. So, uh, I mean, Al Pacino, we knew who that was, right? Yeah, yeah. Didn't take more than a second and a half. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, I knew who Luke Perry was when I saw him, but you struggled, I think. It took me till probably, like, the very end of that scene. Yep. Uh, I knew who Damien Lewis was. Uh, I, I st- who was he in this movie? <laughs> he was... Um... That guy. Um, no, he was um, uh, at the party. He was Steve McQueen at the party, and he was the one who was basically saying, uh, I'll tell you a story. She was with him, then he met, and then basically saying how they all fell huh. in love. And yeah, he was at the pool when they were all at the pool. Um, yeah, I, I vaguely remember the character, so I definitely didn't recognize him in this movie. <laughs> That's a future James Bond you're talking about there, Colin. Oh, Henry. shut up. <laughs> Um, the one that actually I had no clue I'd literally have to look at a screenshot because I didn't realise who she was in the film Dakota Fanning yeah and I think I picked I think I knew that she was in this movie and forgot about it so it was probably again closer to the end of the scene I'm like that almost looks like it could be wait wasn't Dakota Fanning supposed to be in this movie and then I have to google it and be like oh yeah it is her yep Um, Emile Hirsch and and I'm I'm a big Emile Hirsch fan 
I could not tell you who he played in this movie still. I'm seeing a character's name here. I don't know who that is. Jay Sebring. Um, The hairstylist? There was a hairstylist in this movie? Oh, was he the friend at the house of the Tates? Uh, I think that's who he was. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's him. That's the guy. Um, Kurt. Okay, Kurt Russell. We did see... Kurt yeah. Russell in like one there. He was kind of obvious. Um, That's the Al Pacino one. You're going to notice it right away. Yeah. Um, Tony Basil, the singer of Mickey, is in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. You know, it's funny because I was watching the credits and I saw her name come up as the dance choreographer. Yeah. And then it was only right now as I'm looking through the cast that I realized she was in the movie as well. Like Tarantino's got a, he's always had this weird thing for, he wants to resurrect people from the past. You know, he did it with uh, John Travolta. He did it with Pam Greer. He did it with Robert Forrester. He, you know, uh, did it with Kurt Russell. And now he's like, I'm going to do it with Tony Basil. (laughs) Um, Lena Dunham was in this movie. Yeah, I saw her name in the credits, but I'm guessing she was in the Manson family yeah, or something, but I couldn't tell you who she was. She was Gypsy. I, I'm, look, I, I know her, but I'm not probably familiar with her work enough to probably even recognize her outside of mm. the obvious role she's in. Um, and who was the other one? Michael Madsen was in this movie too, but he was kind of obvious. Yeah, I recognized him. Yeah. A um, um, couple other ones here. I don't know uh, if you're as familiar with these people or not, but um, Clifton Collins Jr.? No, I'm not. No, I don't know who that is. He was in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Still can tell you who he was in here. Uh, Maya Hawke, who's the daughter of uh, Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. She's probably the best thing on Stranger Things in the most recent season of Stranger Things. She was one of the Manson Family people. I think I kind of recognize her partway through her scene. Um, what was the other one here? Uh, Rumor Willis, Bruce Willis's daughter, apparently, oh, in this movie. Really? Yeah, I know. I know. Who, yeah. Wow. Uh, and for any uh, big fans of the um, Karate Kid movies or Cobra Kai TV series, Martin Cove, who played the villain in uh, Karate Kid and Cobra Kai, uh, was in the, uh, the I guess, the flashback of Leonardo DiCaprio's TV show Bounty Law. Um, and I'm, I'm shocked I didn't recognize him because he's a very distinctive person. And, you know, I've seen him recently and I'm a big fan of his. But, yeah, like this, this movie's filled with so many people just showing up. And some of it, it is played like like Al Pacino is played more like a real cameo, you know. And Kurt Russell is played like let's throw a real cameo in there. But then with people like Dakota Fanning, you wonder not only you know why are they in this movie, you know, as in just throwing them in there, but also they're not really given a lot to do in this movie. So is this just something where everybody? Because I guess we should also mention Tarantino has kind of made it public he's only making ten movies, period, and this is what his ninth. So yeah, it depends on how you classify the Kill Bill movies, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, and oh, by the way, I just also want to say I'm the exact opposite opinion of you. Uh, not exact opposite, but I'm a much bigger fan of Kill Bill Volume 2 than I am Volume 1. Hmm. Uh, but I do enjoy both of the movies. Uh, but um, yeah, like he, we know that there is an end date on Tarantino's career. And I think more so than, you know, all the people who just show up in The Irishman, uh, I think this is probably a lot of people saying, I got to be in a Tarantino movie, just put me in there. Put me in, coach. You know, and he's like, (laughs) all right, you're going to be, you know, somebody in the Manson family. You're going to be a background extra on Bounty Law or whatever. Which the good thing is, like, I I love how he collaborates so well with, like, people. And it's like, um, is this the first one in a long time that Samuel L. Jackson hasn't been in a Tarantino movie or something like that? Um, Well... Let's think. Uh, he was well. He did Pulp Fiction, uh, Jackie Brown. Uh, he wasn't in Kill Bill, was he? I think he uh, was. Wasn't he like in a very small, small role in that? Maybe. 
I mean, uh, I hatefully, he was. he was like the main star of that. Uh, he was in Django. He was in Glorious I don't think he was in Death Proof. But yeah, I mean, he's in the majority of his movies for sure. I mean, Michael Madsen's the other one who's kind of in a lot of his movies, isn't he, as well? Yeah. So, um, That's his yeah. great Grimberg. Yeah, yes. Or uh, great Grimberg is J.J. Abrams, Michael Madsen. <laughs> very very similar looking as well. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. but he's done a couple with Leonardo DiCaprio now, hasn't he? He's done at least two, three? Uh, well, Django... Um... Is that it? Is it just Jane going Jane? Okay. But uh, oh, and um, Brad Pitt was Glorious Bastards as well, so he's done at least two with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, I always like that about kind of directors and that who kind of work with. Like, I just I've always appreciated that. But um, yeah. Um, so this this has been nominated for ten Oscars, uh, equal that we talked about the Irishman the other day and 1917 as well. So only one film ahead of this Joker. So the that's been nominated for best picture, best director, best actor, best supporting actor. Original screenplay, sound mixing, sound editing, production design, cinematography, and costume design. All the glamour categories in there. Um, but this is, I think, compared to the last two days we've talked about, probably in for a, at least a couple of awards. It's, a lot of people are saying it's in a sniff yeah. with Best Picture. It's up there as maybe the, one of the three that people are talking about the most as potentially being able to win that. Um, director as well. A lot of whispers around there that Tarantino could finally get a Best Directing Oscar. Um, Brad Pitt's probably a lot for Best Supporting Actor. I think Tarantino's probably a lot for Original Screenplay. Uh, but then you look at sound editing, mixing, production design. It's not going to win cinematography. We went over that the other day. And costume design. Um, I mean, do you give it a chance in many of these categories? Well, keep in mind, I haven't seen uh, 1917, and I'm, I, I've heard you know the way everybody's praising about it visually, so I think that's probably going to be locked for cinematography. But I just got to oh, yeah. say, like, this movie has such a unique look about it. Like, I absolutely love the cinematography in this. Uh, another thing that doesn't really feel as Tarantino, like it doesn't look like a Tarantino movie for the most part either. Um, but yeah, we talked about this yesterday. It's I think it's really a two-horse race for screenplay. It's this and Marriage Story. Personally, I would kind of give the edge to Marriage Story just because of how real it was. But I mean, as far as originality, I mean, this, this movie's got it going for it. Um, I... You know, I think there are some questionable things with the story still, but they're minor things to me. And it's the things that shouldn't work about this movie that work where I, I definitely give it a lot of, a lot of praise. Uh, I'm still I'm not quite getting Brad Pitt, you know, for supporting actor. Uh, but there seems to be the support behind him. So he probably is at least the front run at this point. And let's be honest, DiCaprio has no shot at all. No, no. Which I mean, is this. I wouldn't say it's the first time he's had no shot at all. I mean, was he ever considered in any of his other times, the 28,000 I mean, times he was nominated yeah, before he won? Blood Diamond, he was like an honorary nominee. I don't think anybody expected him to win for the Blood Diamond. He's just kind of almost like the Meryl Streep or the Daniel J. <laughs> Lewis. Just, he's in a movie. Let's nominate him. Um, but, yeah. Um, what are we doing with this movie? Are, are you buying, renting, or binning? And also, where would you rank this out of the three that we've watched so far? Uh, I mean, unlike The Irishman, I was able to watch the very long movie in one sitting. It didn't take uh, any effort at all. Uh, I'm definitely buying this. And I think, as I said, I also think it's the first Tarantino movie that I've really had no issues with. Um, really, if you think about it, the only two Tarantino movies that have ever really been panned critically are probably Hateful Eight and Death Proof. And even those get a lot of praise. But I just I, I compare this to every movie he's I compare this to the movies he's made that got a lot of praise and I'd put this up there with Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and you know maybe Kill Bill 
Uh, I think it's definitely in the top half of movies he's made. I'm easily buying this, but I'm still, I may change my mind when we get closer to the Oscars. You know, this is the freshest for me, but I might put the marriage story slightly higher than this still. I'm buying it 100%. Uh, as I said, it's one of the four that I absolutely loved. And this is the tricky part for me in the ranking because of those four, I think that um, my top two and my bottom two in that top four are very interchangeable. So this is, I'm, I've put this third, uh, well, third overall. I just spoiled it, didn't I? Uh, the first <laughs> first currently right now out of the three that we've seen, but uh, spoiler alert, it ends up as third on my overall list. But um, I, like, I, it's just it's tricky because, again, I could be the same as you. Like, I loved Marriage Story enough that I could easily put that above this. But um, I think that maybe what takes it over the line slightly of a Marriage Story is I think this maybe has a bit more of a rewatch value. Like, not to say that I would never want to watch Marriage Story, but just on a Saturday night, you want to put on a movie to kind of entertain you and not have to sit there and, I don't know, I feel you come out of this movie with a bit more of a happy feeling than Marriage Story, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, Yeah. So, Which um, is almost a little bit sick and twisted, but I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. but again, interchangeable. I'm the same as you. I could easily put Marriage Story ahead of this uh, in a couple of days' time when we do our uh, preview episode. I don't know. But um, right now, after three days, this is my number one. So, um, Which means that tomorrow is going to be day four. And tomorrow, I believe we're doing Jojo Rabbit, uh, a movie yeah. that... I was similar to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was planning on seeing, because uh, living in New Zealand, it's quite a big deal, quite a big film, with uh, Taika... I can never say his goddamn name. Taika Waititi? Titi? <laughs> Titi? Yeah, I live in the country. Oh. Anyway, speaking of my New Zealand accent. But, um, look, I, I'm a big fan of his, coming off the back of The Hunt for the Wilder People. It was just such a great movie, and I so hope we can do that movie on this uh, podcast one day. Obviously, Thor Ragnarok, it was good. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a different movie and it's enjoyable, but he's just obviously got that very unique style about him, which makes his movies great and entertaining to watch. And, uh, of course his last episode directed and wrote the last episode of, um, the Mandalorian, which is really now putting him out there for Star Wars fans, want him to be involved in Star Wars more often. And I think he should be because the last episode of the Mandalorian was just absolutely fantastic. But yeah, Jojo, look, Jojo Rabbit's fine. Like it's, it maybe didn't quite live up to the expectations I was thinking it would for a Taika Waititi film, but it's still good and it's still enjoyable. Um, I just, I question Scarlett Johansson's nomination in it. That's the one thing I will say. I mean, especially when, you know, the competition of Rebel Wilson and you, you think if anybody's going to walk away with an Oscar nomination, this would be Rebel Wilson, right? Um, Rebel Wilson. You know, it's funny, just this, we're reached the point of one of the movies I haven't seen yet. So I will see this in the next 24 hours, I guess. Uh, But, um, I've seen the trailers for this and, you know, I, I've sort of followed all the, the hype about this movie going into it. You know, still there's a couple of actors in here that I didn't realize were in the movie. I'm actually really excited about um, Sam Rockwell. I knew was in the movie, but Stephen oh. Merchant, like yes. this is the Stephen Merchant is in like Ricky Gervais's collaborator. Oh, right. That's who it is. Okay. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Love him. And then Alfie Allen, this is like one of my current favorite actors. You know, he was on game of Thrones, but also in uh, the, um, uh, first John Wick movie and um, uh, oh, the, Stephen the, Merchant. The, Sorry, I just looked at a picture of him. I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, yep. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like Alfie Allen, I'm so excited to see him in this movie too. I mean, it's just to me, this feels like the one truly original movie that's coming out. N- not to say once upon a time in Hollywood. Once you see it play out, you're like, okay, that was a very original idea. But it's still, you know, uh, just a very basic movie. Whereas Jojo Rabbit, it's, it, it looks completely unlike anything else. 
you know, that, that we've seen in a long time. Uh, so I'm excited to see it. You know, I don't know if I really have expectations. I've never seen any. The only one of his movies I actually tried to watch was What We Do in the Shadows. But, um, you know, Taika Waititi. But this is like, what's the guy doing No Time to Die? Oh, Fukunaganoa. Yeah, Kiri uh you just you just fall into weird voice fluctuations when you try to say these names uh but uh you know, i i never really could get into what we do in the shadows but i mean this looks cool to me um i'm not quite sure if i'm as excited after hearing you just say it's sort of fine but you know we've disagreed on things before yeah we a lot of the time um i mean look i i can't recommend hunt for the wilder people enough like it's just it is such a funny movie and it's so good and you can see why um, you know, that led to him basically getting Thor Ragnarok and why the kid in Hunt for Wilder People was then in Deadpool 2 and just, you can just, yeah, you can see why. And like, I I really would like to actually go back and see Eagle vs. Shark because apparently that's quite funny and quite good, his very first film. It's got, um, uh, uh I like Jermaine Mega Shark vs. Crocosaurus. That's right. my favorite of the series. Yes. <laughs> no, Eagle vs. Shark just scales it back a little bit. I think they just wear suits and <laughs> Jermaine from Flight of the Concords is in it. So, you know, um, but yeah, I, actually Sam Rockwell is brilliant. If, um, if you are to come out of that movie and think who would get nominated for an Oscar, once again, Sam Rockwell, <laughs> you turn me Anything around on either. Galaxy Quest. Um, he's just as good in this as he is in Galaxy Quest. So, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, no, it's 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 not terrible. It's it's I, I probably spoiler. I'm still going to buy the film. It's just it maybe just didn't live up to the expectations I had going. So it's into not it. number one or number two that you've spoiled the still to it's come. Out which of the means top we four. know it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be Little Women and Parasite. That's your top oh, two. Little Women, my lord, I'm still recovering from it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, join us tomorrow for that. In the meantime, subscribe to the podcast on all our great channels out there, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. I think the same thing. I say that every episode, but who cares? They are the same thing, but I don't know. Tim Cook can't make his mind up, so he calls them different things. Um, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and we're all on the social channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. That's the one. Uh, are we on um, the uh, TikTok yet? Or- TikTok? What's TikTok? <laughs> that one where you like film a five-second video and people laugh at it. Um, what was that one that used <laughs> to be? Back in the day, and then they got rid of it, and this is just a newer version of it. So, um, I don't know. Whatever. Uh, we'll, we'll, Colin will create a TikTok account. Um, <laughs> it will learn what it is. Uh, but thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time. My name is Ben, and anybody order fried sauerkraut? And my name is Colin. You can follow me on TikTok. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.